Hello, this is Chip Stewart. Welcome back to the Worthy Is He podcast. Uh, it's Sunday, March 19th, 2023. And uh, during this episode, I would like to discuss with you eternal security, uh, meaning that once you are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, you're always saved. You don't lose that salvation. Uh, this is a critical understanding for the Christian to have, and I'll explain that um, in a few moments. But first, I'd like to, to lead off with a snippet of an article that I read in Voice of the Martyrs magazine uh, from their September 2021 issue. And um, I, I think it's relevant to the discussion of the, the assurance that Christ provides to believers in the, the salvation that they are given and, and that it is forever, that they, they are assured that they have that salvation that they are given and cannot lose it. So in this article, um, it talks about Abdulwali Ahmed, uh, who grew up in Kenya, and he was of Somali descent, where basically to be Somali means to be Muslim. In the Bible, he read that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that salvation is found only through faith in him. But in Islam, he had been taught that he might make it to heaven, might make it to heaven, if he prayed five times a day, attended mosque regularly, helped the poor, and did good deeds. And he said, deep down in my heart, I was facing some emptiness because in Islam, there is no peace eternal security, or satisfaction in the individual's heart. Again, that's from Voice of the Martyrs magazine, uh, September 2021. So what he says here is he was taught he might make it to heaven if he did certain things. And the way that, that made him feel with that belief was that there was no peace in Islam, no eternal security of going to heaven, no satisfaction in the heart. And that's quite the opposite of what the Christian believer should feel. Because the Word of God tells us that we can be sure of our salvation and that, that once that salvation is granted to us, our salvation, that salvation of the believer, is eternally secure, and I'll explain that. It's important for us to understand that our Father's desire for us as believers, as His children, is not to doubt the state of our salvation. He, he would rather that we know that once we've been saved, we can rest assured that our salvation is felt is felt is held firmly in place by our triune God and can never be lost. And you know, why, why is this important? Why, why is it important as a believer that we must, we must understand this? Well, foundationally, it's critical to our understanding of who God is, who our Father is, His sovereignty, His power, and how He cares and provides for us as His children when you think about it, to, to doubt the security of our salvation, um, it ultimately brings into question God's power and the promises that he has made to us as his children. And then, and then this doubting that you would have of your salvation, well, it'll inevitably lead to a sense of insecurity and anxiety. 
And it also leaves the believer open to attack by the enemy who will exploit this doubt in God's power and promises. Also, to know that you are securing your salvation allows you to better focus on running the race that Christ has set before you without doubting this critical truth of who you are in Christ. Because if you're doubting your salvation, instead of serving Christ, you are more thinking about how you have to work to maintain your salvation, which may sound similar, but they're very different, very different intents and motivations here. And, and to know that you are saved and you're secure in that salvation allows you to serve him, serve him freely as your master with joy based on what he's done for you on the cross, knowing that once you're saved, it's complete and cannot be reversed. So as I go through the scriptures and I share with you how, uh, how God tells us that we are secure in our salvation, I'm going to do it from, uh, basically I'm going to pose questions and then, and then answer those questions. That's, that'll be the format for the way I'll, I'll go through this. So the first one states or asks the question, does the Bible say anywhere that we should know we are eternally secure in our salvation? Well, I would ask you to turn to 1 John chapter 5 um, and verse 13, where he, he states, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So to look at that first part when he says, to, the, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, those are believers, those are people who are saved that he's addressing this to. And he's writing the letter so you may know that you have eternal life. And here there are, I, I believe there are two things that are being addressed. One, to know that you are saved in the first place. And then the second thing is to know that once you're saved, it's eternal. You are secure. You have it, and you're not going to lose it. And that's what we're going to talk about um, today. So let's let's look back at the scriptures and see how it lays out um, eternal security, this assurance of the believer in their in their salvation. So the next question: What does the Bible say about predestination, and what impact do you think that it has on our salvation being secure? So predestination, that, that can be a very difficult topic um, to talk about. So I'm not going to go into great depth about it. Um, you know, who can understand the mind of God and how all this works together? Some of it, you know, is still a mystery for us. But the Bible does speak of predestination. And, and in one case, it's in Romans chapter 8, verses 29 through 30, where it says, For those whom he foreknew, talking about God, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So when you, you look here at the word predestined, he is also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He's predestined us. It is going to happen. He's already decided it. And so here, here we are, he is, he is working in our lives to make us like his son. We're called, justified, and we'll be glorified. And you know, if you could lose your salvation, you would, you would not be glorified. And in this case, you would make God out to be a liar, because what he just said here in this verse, it would not be true. 
So he's predestined us. So once saved, he is going to take us. He's got us. He's got we as his son or his daughter. He's got us and he's going to work in our lives to make us more like Jesus Christ. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12, it also talks about predestination. And it says uh, in these passages, uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So here it describes God as choosing us in Christ before the foundation of the world, basically before time began. And he's predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So if he's already chosen us, he's adopting us, and he loses us, that makes God to be not sovereign. He's clearly not in control because he said he's going to do it and all of a sudden he doesn't do it. And he's not omnipotent if you believe that he's going to lose these people he's predestined for adoption and that they're going to obtain inheritance from him. And similarly, if he works all things according to the purpose of his will and one of those works is predestining us to, to this inheritance that we have, and, 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 and he loses us, well, then God isn't omnipotent. But, but we know that's not the case. So here's, here's the first examples where the scriptures are telling us to be secure in our salvation because it's the will of God for us in our lives, and he's not going to lose us. So now let's look at the Holy Spirit. So how does the Holy Spirit participate in our salvation And does that have any impact or implications on the security of that salvation? So in Ephesians, turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And here it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And then also in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So here God is using his Holy Spirit to seal us, put a seal on us for the day of redemption. So when you think about being sealed with the Holy Spirit, do you think that you're going to be lost if he sealed you with his Holy Spirit? 
for the day of redemption, he's not going to lose you. And something very interesting also with a seal. When you, I looked up um, seal in, in the Zondervan Bible Dictionary, and it's, it's amazing how it describes a seal and how almost every definition can be applied to how we are sealed by the Holy Spirit as believers, as children of God. So it says that every person of any standing had a seal back in the old days. They, they would have a seal, a ring, something like that, where they could put an impression in, in, um, in wax, uh, whatever it might be. And some of the purposes of this seal, and by the way, any, any person of standing, well, who has the highest standing of all? Well, that's the Lord. So what are the purposes of a seal? Well, it can be as a mark of authenticity and authority to letters, royal commands, as a mark of the formal ratification of a transaction or covenant. Could that not be a mark of the, the ratification of a covenant which each of us is being born again and being saved? As a means of protecting documents so they're not be tampered with. A seal protecting us so we're not tampered with. We are, we are his. As a proof of delegated authority and power, does he not give us some of that power to proclaim his word in this life? As a means of sealing closed doors so as to keep out unauthorized persons, he protects us from the devil, does he not? As an official mark of ownership, like a cattle brand, God has his official mark of ownership upon us. And we will not lose it. We are sealed by his Holy Spirit, one of the Trinity. Let's turn now to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. For we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So here is the Holy Spirit given to us as a guarantee of our inheritance and a definition of guarantee as a verb. Let's take a look at that. You could define it to make sure to undertake or engage that another person shall perform what he has stipulated to secure the performance of. So secure the performance of our salvation that God will perform that what he has stipulated. In other words, our salvation if you look at it from the perspective of a noun, like a guarantee as opposed to to, to guarantee, um, an undertaking or engagement by a third person or party that the stipulations of a treaty shall be observed by the contracting parties or by one of them, an undertaking that the engagement or promise of another shall be performed. And if you remember in the, in the Bible, God swears by himself because there is no higher power. But the guarantee tells us that something shall be performed. Our salvation is sure. It will happen. It shall be performed. It will be held to the end. So, 
if we can lose our salvation when the Holy Spirit is given to us as a seal and a guarantee, then what does that say about God's guarantees? It says that he is not trustworthy and his promises, we cannot trust in them. But that is not the case. He is trustworthy. and He will keep us. Next question. Will Christ ever send away any who come to him? And in John chapter 6, verse 37, it tells us, all those, Jesus tells us, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. So if you are his, he will never drive you away. If the Father gives you to the Son, he will not cast you out. He will not send you away. So that's about believers coming to him for salvation, and he will not, he will not cast them away. He will not drive them away. So will Christ ever lose any who are given to him by the Father? So this is more of a question about after Christ has you, will he ever lose you? So John chapter 6, verse 39, two, two verses later, This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. Of all, all. Not some, all he has given me. I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father, listen to this very closely. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. This is amazing. We just, we just talked about the Holy Spirit being a seal and a guarantee on us, on our salvation. Here we have us pictured in the hand of not only the Son, but of the Father and the Son. Did the light bulb go on? The entire Trinity is involved in the security of our salvation. Do you think you are going to lose your salvation when you have the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son all securing you? keeping you in their hands? I think not. You are very secure in your salvation. Jude uh, verse 24, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To him who is able to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. He is able. Praise God. Next question, can anything separate us, if this wasn't already obvious already, can anything separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ? Turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Then moving on to verse 38 and 39, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here it's pretty clear that 
once we are saved, nothing can separate us from that love that Christ has shown for us and that salvation that he has given us out of his love for us. He went to the cross for us because he loves us. Nothing can separate us. But then you might say, Chip, okay, what about myself? Can I just opt out? Can I, you know, press the eject button? If you are in Christ, if you've been saved, the answer is no. We cannot separate ourselves from Christ once we're in him because we are kept by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Nothing we do can, can separate us from that. We're not excluded from that list that I just read in Romans chapter 8. You know, we're not special. We can't do something that um, where he, we're, we're no longer saved to, to render null and void our salvation. If you are a believer in Christ, if you're a child of God, you cannot do it because it says, nor anything else in all creation. That's you too. You are safe and secure. Next question. What implications does being a new creation have upon eternal security? And this is, this is kind of an odd second question here. Can you unborn or uncreate yourself? I say that kind of rhetorically there. But the context here is Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. Where in John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And, and born again can also be tra- translated born from above. So we as believers, as children of God, are a new creation. We're born again, born from above, children of God, not children of of the world or of Adam any longer. We're made anew by God. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Don't, don't skim by this. Don't just, oh yeah, yeah, new creation. Okay, whatever. When we're using the word creation, we're talking about creator God here. And it's stunning to think that we are a new creation, that we're now born from above. It's hard for us to see, right? You know, I look at myself in the mirror. I look like the same guy I was before I was saved. But it's that new creation in our spirit where we are a child of God. And it's just reassuring to know that the old has passed away and the new has come from God. And when, as a new creation, it, it you look at this and like, wait a second, this is a radical, irreversible change that has come upon me, that has come upon you. God has done it. It, 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 it's stunning. I, I'm at a loss for words just to, to think about it. But that's another aspect of, you know, your eternal security. He has created you anew. Mind-boggling. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, 
by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So in this passage, it talks about regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So back to the theme of a new creation. John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, born of God. So believers are born again. So back to that kind of awkward, funny question I asked. So if we were to lose our salvation, does that mean we would be unborn again? Would you have to like uncreate yourself, unnecreate yourself in a manner of speaking to, to lose that salvation? It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. You're not going to unborn yourself and you're not going to uncreate yourself. God has done this. And we need to praise his name because of it. We're not going to lose it. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 20, verses 20 through 24 talks about putting off the old self, putting on the new self, created, the new self being created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. That is the new creation that God is working in our lives, that is done in our lives. Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 through, 10, 9 through 10. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And then finally, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That sums up a lot of it in that, in that, one, um, in that one section, talking about the inheritance that's guaranteed to receive that inheritance, talking about us being a new creation, born again, um, it's being kept by God's power. Dear Christian, our salvation is secure. But then you have to ask the question, well, how do the scriptures explain those who fall away from the faith? You know, then that, that immediately comes to mind. It's like, okay, wait a second. That person says he was a Christian and all of a sudden he's not a Christian anymore. Did they lose their salvation? Well, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, explains it like this. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. So in, in essence, it's saying here they were not believers at the beginning. So they, it was a false profession of faith. They were not saved. So you, you also, when you look at... Um, in, in the parables that Jesus taught, you have um, parables of wheat and the tares, and it talks about how in this church age, um, before his return, there are going to be both believers and non-believers together in the church until, until he comes again. And he's given strict instructions not to pull out the tares until the end 
of, uh, end of, of this time. So we can expect that there are unbelievers mixed in with believers within, within the church itself. And then, you know, Matthew chapter 13, verses 20 through 21, it talks about um, the parable of the sower. Uh, As for what is sown on rocky ground, this one who hears the word immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. I think this would, this would also be a description of someone who is not truly um, born again. Um, so some other considerations, some other th- things to think about. Um, when it comes to our eternal security, the eternal security of our salvation. And that's uh, one thing. The first one would be adoption as sons. And this adoption that we have as sons and daughters of God, that's an act of God, and it's not our act. We didn't you know, put ourselves up for adoption with God. God adopted us. That was his action. So Romans chapter 8, verse 15 um, describes this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Another thing to think about is we are bought with a price. So God paid for us. He now owns us. I don't know if that, that may not, you know, that may, Take some people, might, excuse me, might take that the wrong way, but you shouldn't. Who else would you want to be owned except by God? You know, and we don't have a choice in the matter. He has bought us. So, First Corinthians chapter six, verses nineteen through twenty. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So here it's describing how we're bought for the price, the price being the precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ. So if you're able to lose your salvation, then, you know, you, you are your own. You can make that decision. Maybe you really weren't purchased. Or, and or, the purchase price that God paid for you must not have been high enough. <laughs> I think that's not the case. You've been bought with a price, dear Christian. God has you. He ain't going to sell you. And then finally, um, another consideration would be the sovereignty of God. Just remember, all these actions that I've been describing are God's, not ours. We can't save ourselves. He does it and he secures it. He is all-powerful, omnipotent, trustworthy, good. He is holy. He has got us, dear Christian. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So I'd like to conclude this episode and say that based on all of the scripture I've shared with you, if we can lose our salvation, 
that means that the entire Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is incapable of protecting that salvation, which they granted to us, and that God is unfaithful to his promises, a liar, not sovereign over his creation, and, and certainly not omnipotent. But dear Christian, God is sovereign. God is all-powerful. God is faithful to his promises. God is truth. So we can rest. We can rest in knowing that once he grants us eternal life, he will never take it away and we can never lose it. Therefore, we can get on with living our life for Christ free of the burden of any doubt that we are his forever because we are his forever. We do not have to fear we will lose our salvation and we can rather focus on being effective servants of our Lord Jesus Christ in this life to the glory of his name. I don't know what else to say. If you're not convinced by those scriptures, <laughs> I don't know what else to say to convince you. It's a beautiful thing. And we need to rest assured. We need to be at peace. We need to be at peace knowing that the creator God, the God of all universe has us and that we can glorify his name with our lives in, in thanksgiving, be that living sacrifice he's called us to be. But there may be one question that, that you have at this point, and it, it, it may be, Chip, how do I know I'm saved in the first place, Right? That's a very good question, and what I'd like to do next time is I'd like for us to turn to 1 John, and um, we'll examine what 1 John says, because um, one of the purposes of that letter he writes in chapter 5, verse 13 is, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And like I said at the very beginning of this episode, I believe there's two portions of that. One is knowing you're saved in the first place. And then the second being, you know, once you're saved, you're assured of that salvation to the end of time and for all eternity. And so we're going to talk about that first piece um, next time, looking at uh, the book of First John. So I ask God's blessings upon all of you that... He's able to work through what I, I have shared with you today and, and to use it to better conform each and every one of you to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And to his name be all the glory. Amen. Hello again. It's me. I'm back for a brief moment. I, I wanted to let you know that this lesson that I taught during this episode of the podcast on eternal security was originally taught to the men's group at Dominey Community Church in Atlanta, Georgia, back in September of 2021. It was preceded by uh, the lesson on our Lord's high priestly prayer um, uh, based on John 17, also taught in September of that year. And uh, that's podcast episode 14. And um, this lesson is followed by a lesson on spiritual the Spiritual Discipline of Bible Intake Based on the Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Whitney, uh, which was taught in January 2022, and that will be coming uh, in the future. Uh, the next one that uh, I intend 
to teach, uh, to, to share with you during this podcast, God willing, is um, one on First John that talks about how do I know I'm saved based on what um, John shares with us in that, in that letter. But if you'd like to see uh, the full list of lessons that I have taught at, during, in the men's group at Dunwoody Community Church, um, up to this point, you can find that in the, uh, in the show notes to see what's potentially ahead in episodes to come. And that's all I have. Take care. Bye-bye.